0: Welcome to another episode of Acts of the Blood God, U.S. Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Cat Bailey. Joining me once again, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello. Good to be
1: back. I missed you last week.
0: Yes, we're here to talk about all of the RPGs as usual, and this week we're going to be talking about number 19. I, I think, yes, number 19 on the Top 25 RPG list with a special guest. It's very exciting. Um... Nadia, you've been playing an RPG that you can't talk about, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, I'm a little disappointed I can't talk about it, but um, all things come to those who wait, I suppose.
0: I suppose so. I've been playing the ultimate of RPGs. Uh, Football? Football! Where's where's a beer can that I can smash against my head? Make sure it's empty first. Yeah, actually, though, I just wrote a pretty... uh, uh, critical piece i want to say about how madden kind of like wants to be this football safe space Hmm. where nothing bad ever happens but reality keeps encroaching yeah sorry about that guys there there's no such thing as a safe space i guess so uh so, so yeah i would encourage you to go check that out before we continue on uh do you want to go do you want to do some quick rpg headlines nadia sure why the heck not all right. All right. Really briefly, BioWare has secret teams working on a project that Mass Effect fans will really like, Studio GM says.
2: <laughs>
0: that just kind of gives it
1: away, right? Does, doesn't it?
0: Well, I'm glad to know that Mass Effect maybe isn't dead. Yeah, that, that's, that's actually kind of reassuring. Yeah. Um, of course, the unspoken statement is, if Anthem doesn't work out, BioWare dead anyway.
1: Yeah, um, I kind of wonder about that. It's like, uh, yeah, okay, we're working on this thing, but it doesn't matter in the end. I have seen many games that, that I looked forward to just kind of die because something else didn't perform well enough.
0: What I'm really curious about is, will they return to Andromeda, which was a deeply unpopular entry, mm-hmm. and try to continue on with that? Or will they just kind of throw their hands up and reboot it?
1: Mm, that's a very interesting question.
0: I would consider making a prequel.
1: That's also a very interesting idea.
0: Uh, Like maybe do something with... um, I think there were a lot of wars going on (laughs) in the Mass Effect backstory that could potentially be a good focus for different characters. If I recall correctly, humans are relatively new to the interstellar stage. And of course, humans have to be in everything.
1: Oh, of course. Although I do kind of like the idea of humans just barging in saying, hey guys, I'm playing now too. And everyone's like, oh, fine. There goes the neighborhood. So I don't think humans
0: are in No Man's Sky. Huh. But I mean, what are you? What are you do you, you have as? a human. I mean, they're all in spacesuits. Oh, good point. There's a hu- there's a character in a spacesuit who I guess could be human, but you never see their face. Hmm. Hmm. I never even considered that. I just and they never say anything. All the rest are aliens. Right. Oh well. There's
1: my prejudice showing right there. I just assumed I was a human.
0: Yeah. I mean, I ended up putting on. I ended up going with the generic spacesuit because I'm like I'm human. Derp, derp, derp. <laughs> I have five fingers. Look at me. But Katie went with the Gek, I think. <laughs> I don't know.
1: Yeah, there's a bunch of alien races there. I haven't played uh, the the remake. Or not the remake, but the uh, Returns or whatever they call it. It's, I'm totally the blanking. The updated patch. Because it's Friday, yeah. Um, I haven't played that yet, but I understand you can play as the different races uh, from the game. And they're kind of cute. I like the guys I with the big guys. S-
0: I spent a solid like three or four days being completely hooked on it. and Now I've completely bounced again.
1: Well, you were kind of worried about spending too much time on a game that theoretically has no end.
0: Yeah, I mean, for for the most part. Um, also, I want to play through my RPG backlog, and what No Man's Sky ultimately boils down to is gathering resources and building things. Uh, mm-hmm. And I could kind of justify that with Fallout because I was like, well, I can stop any time and go and do an interesting story-driven quest. Right. And you no. kind of have that in No Man's Sky, but not really. Yeah, so. not so much.
1: You never got to build your base then that you were dreaming of?
0: Uh, I started building my base. Close enough. Yeah, but it requires so much mining and so much work and right. so, much, so many errands to run that I kind of, it's like, uh, I don't want to.
1: Yeah, and I guess in Fallout uh, 4, you just build it build your base off like whatever you find on the ground.
0: Yes. Monster Hunter World PC patch fixes crashing issues will be included in final version for customers. Yeah, I guess there were some problems with the Monster Hunter World PC patch. But also, more, more importantly, they did a crossover with Final Fantasy XIV this week.
1: Yeah, did you ever get to hunt the behemoth?
0: No, not yet. I oh, was going to go hunt it with Hirin who appeared on last week's episode. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, I didn't.
1: Oh, that's too bad. Uh, I actually love the reveal trailer for the Behemoth because if I'm not mistaken, like when they reveal it, you see it with like a Devil Joe in its in its jaws, just hanging there.
0: Whoa, that's badass! Yeah, that is, Joes, that is really badass. Because that's what Devil Joes do. They have the uh, the first monster that you fight in Monster Hunter World in its jaws. Yeah, yeah. No, just the, the, the... to just to show you how how mean it is. Yeah, <laughs> no, the Behemoth looked like a really mean business. The Devil Joe was actually really easy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well there you go the behemoth ate
0: it i am not good at monster hunter world by any stretch of the imagination like i'm not the kind of person who can just go in and easily solo i don't know um the monsters that are extremely strong mm-hmm. uh i have to call and help um i die which oh no i die uh, <laughs> but the devil joe i killed in my first try so that just wow. tells you all you need to know but it has so many teeth it does pokemon let's go might have mega evolutions yeah, that's
1: uh, that. If I'm not mistaken, that was revealed, uh, quote unquote, revealed through uh, news about toys coming around the same time as uh, Pokemon Let's Go is being released, and that's like uh, Mega Evolutions of the first uh, of the starters. So that's our indication, and, and I think it's a little coincidental. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I think that with the Mega Evolutions in Pokemon Let's Go, I think that it could be a post game thing.
1: Yeah, that makes sense.
0: Yeah, though it's not exactly a given. It may just be timed to go with Pokemon Mm. Let's Go. That's true, uh, too. Because it's just a toy promotion, ultimately. And tie it in with the release of the new game. But we'll see. They do have the Alolan forms.
1: See, if they have the Alolan forms, I really don't have a hard time believing they would have the Mega Forms. And I frankly want a a Mega Charizard X in Kanto. That'd be pretty cool. I prefer
0: Mega, Mega Charizard Y. How come it looks? It looks strange. And it looks sleeker and cooler, and also it. I think it. I think it calls down the sun, or it reacts to this. It's really good for a sun team.
1: Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, because I'm really more into the moon teams, and that's what the, uh, Charizard X is.
0: Moon teams. No, when I say sun team, I mean that there are certain monsters like Ninetales, Tails that can automatically induce the effect drought which oh, I see. makes the sun a lot brighter. And then Charizard Y, Mega Charizard Y benefits from that in various okay. ways.
1: Because I'm thinking like, okay, uh, Mega Charizard X kind of like, you know, emulates this, the the moonlight and the, uh, the nighttime. So I was thinking, oh,
0: yeah, that's a cool metaphor. Mega Charizard Y is pure fire and Mega Charizard X is like, he's going to mess you up with his claws. Yeah, he does have pretty badass claws. Though I have a Mega Charizard X and i use it uh whenever i build my teams because i think it's kind of a badass so but the upshot of all this is i would love to have uh, these mega evolutions in pokemon let's go but i think i don't think they'll be available right away i think i could totally see mega stones or whatever becoming a thing that you can get at the in the post game yeah i think so too especially if this is a Hey, let's prepare you for the other games. Here are some of the other cool mechanics that aren't in Pokemon Go. <laughs> By the way, that's- have you caught your Raikou yet? No, I haven't. No, no. I is ca- that
1: in... I caught it today. Oh, congratulations. This isn't Go?
0: Yeah, this isn't Go. They have a field research thing going on right now. Oh, okay. Yeah. I- I'm interested in that. Um, if you complete all of your field research goals, a Raikou will appear.
1: Oh, that's uh, actually now that you mentioned it, I have a field goal waiting for me to... Uh, to catch that uh, you know that Pokemon that you get at the end of the field research. So, That's how I you mean, get a Raikou. All right. Well, uh, it's not my favorite of the legendary dogs, but uh, I'll Which take Which one it.
0: is? Suicune. 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 That's the right choice. Suicune yeah. is a, great. I love Suicune. It's just a really neat design, isn't it? It's a great design. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I've, I've been known to use Suicune in my teams from time to time, though it's more of a stall Pokemon. And in recent years... I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think that Suicune has fallen out of favor a bit because Once Upon a Time, it was extremely strong and had very good stats, mm-hmm. but Power Creep has uh, yeah. made its defenses a bit less useful. Though yeah. I could be completely wrong. I don't know.
1: Well, it's not something I see. Or, uh, I kind of follow very loosely like what's going on on Smogon. Uh, I just kind of like to look up Pokemon and see like who's being used and who's not being used, and I don't think Suicune's used very much.
0: I like Pokemon Go these days. It's kind of... I still liked Pokemon, but I was feeling kind of alienated by the hardcore RPGs, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. in the sense that it's so time-consuming to really take advantage of those games, kind of like No Man's Sky, to be honest. Um, <laughs> but Pokemon Go, it puts much more emphasis on the collecting aspect. It does, doesn't it?
1: It's it's a lot of fun. And you know what? If you're out and about
0: anyway, you may as well play it. yeah. Last night, my partner and I were in San Francisco proper, and we were walking down the Embarcadero, which is a fairly famous area. It's near the pier. You can mm-hmm. see the Bay Bridge. It's very touristy, and we both had our phones out, and tons of water Pokemon were appearing, and we were catching them. And it was just a nice, it was just a nice time.
1: I actually, uh, the other day, I went down to my optometrist, and I. Uh, he is actually in an area that uh, where Scott Pilgrim takes place, like the Annex, and so I caught uh, several Pokemon at Sneaky D's, and I'm giving them away to my friend who like Scott Pilgrim.
0: We're friends in Pokemon Go now, and <laughs> we so are. we send each other's gifts, and I'm sending Nadia like the Alameda Theater and Dan's produce or whatever, and she's sending me the Jewish market in Toronto. Yeah, <laughs> that's my hood. For or the giant menorah, and for a while I was like, "Is literally everything she's sending me Jewish related?" <laughs> I'm in the famous Jewish neighborhood. I'm like, "Oh, there you go, T.I.L."
1: And I uh, actually sent you a, something, a phoenix mural yesterday, which was kind of nice.
0: Oh yeah, that's pretty cool. But it's always fun to be able to send really neat, uh, really neat gifts to your friends. I, I really like that aspect of the game. I have some friends from home who I also follow, and so I'll get. Like, my sister, the first thing she sent was Legoland from the Mall of America. <laughs> That's amazing. There are multiple bogo stops in the Mall of America, in the, in the Legoland, specifically. Mm. Oh, wow. Which I find actually kind of remarkable. It's not just the Legoland, it's specific landmarks in the Legoland. That is one big-ass Legoland. Though, if you ever send me a Starbucks, we're never friends... <laughs> I think you sent me a Starbucks yesterday. Oh and no! I was like,
2: I'm so
1: bad. cat, How could
0: you? I only send them to uh, I only send them to Emily, <laughs> my <laughs> partner.
1: Here we're beside each other anyway. Have a Starbucks.
0: Yeah, because I mean I I don't want to send the crappy Starbucks to like the rest of my friends who don't live with me. Yeah. Anyway, Octopath Traveler passes one million sales globally, Nadia.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm really happy to hear that. In fact, uh, I was just on Game Explain uh, talking about uh, Octopath. And uh, we had a good time with that. So uh, look up their YouTube channel, and I'm I'm right there.
0: I can't believe how successful Octopath... I mean, I can't believe it, because it came out in July when nothing else was coming out. It was immediately enticing to JRPG fans. It was on the Switch, which is a popular JRPG platform now. Yes. And, I mean, we saw tremendous interest from our side. Just from just from a traffic standpoint we were getting a lot of traffic and a lot of interest which just the show notes in which we talked about octopath traveler got a lot of good traffic
1: that's right we used you would write up show notes for our, our podcast and they just hit google and just take off that was that was funny
0: yeah i was i couldn't believe it that it was topping traffic for a couple of days and <laughs> i mean octopath traveler hey what can i say like uh, the last time i saw this much intense interest from a JRPG of that kind was maybe Fire Emblem Fates.
1: Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, I'm actually, I'm glad to see this. I'm glad
0: to hear it. And I'm really hoping it bodes well for Dragon Quest Eleven. Come on, people. I think people were just kind of like, is this good? Is this interesting? I want to know more about this game, right?
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: It's not like, I, I think everybody kind of has an idea of Final Fantasy Seven, for example, um, or other JRPGs. I don't know, Dragon Quest Eleven. You know what you're going to get out of Dragon Quest Eleven. Right. But with Octopath Traveler it's like, well it could be variable, could be good, could be bad, I don't know. Yeah, that's a good point. And it is a very it is a
1: very much an RPG where you take control of your own destiny. You can pretty much go in any direction you want.
0: Yes. Okay, last question. Square Enix is pitching Final Fantasy Seven remake as an action game in job listings. I mean mm, somebody yeah. was pointing out in the comments that anything that isn't your traditional turn based content uh, cu- rpg is just called an action game um i think it's just gonna be a straight-up action game i mean i think that's where we are uh yeah looking at it i really get a
1: crisis core vibe and um that's not a bad thing i really like crisis core and of course they probably changed the whole game since we initially saw it so i don't know if they're still using that crisis core like engine but uh yeah i'd, I'd say kind of action e r p g rpg not quite an action
0: rpg well, when we finally play this game in 2070... seventy <laughs> will be dead, number one. I, I'm not going to be dead. I plan to be alive in 2070. <laughs> I'll try my best, but I'm not making any promises. You can make it, Nadia. You can I make it con- to the release of Final Fantasy VII Remake. That is a good reason to hang on, and I do come from very long-lived lines. No, Nadia, that's not a good reason to hang on, but... I'm doing it, and I, I'm making it my purpose. I think it's... But I do think you can make it. <laughs> <laughs> I, d- I feel very cynical about this game, and I wish that they wouldn't make it episodic. I wish they would just release it as a full game. Same. And to be honest, we've had this discussion a million times, I wish that they would just frickin' make it a turn-based, menu-based game that's not an outdated mechanic.
1: Yeah, I think the I think the time for that has long passed. I think Square Enix has a, an idea in its mind, and it's, it's gonna deliver on that idea, come hell or high water.
0: Yeah. So it goes, I guess. I, I guess people just have it in their heads that turn based is somehow archaic,
1: and which, yet uh, it's not true. Bro, we just talked about Octopath Traveler, which is, <laughs> which is turn based and did great.
0: Yeah, it sold more than a million units, but Octopath Traveler like was obviously playing to a specific RPG niche, mm-hmm. whereas Final Fantasy is trying to capture the mainstream as much as humanly possible. That's Maybe true. to its detriment. Maybe to exactly. The, Maybe to the extent that it's actually hurting itself.
1: That's actually a good point, because thinking about the friends I have who loved Final Fantasy VII back in the day, uh, and let's say you tell them, hey, there's a remake of this great game you loved that's out, and they're like, oh boy, and they go play it, and it's some action game. They're like, what is this? This is totally different from what I remember. I don't think they'll be very happy with that.
0: But they're trying to capture a whole new generation, not just the
1: nostalgia kids. (laughs) Good luck with that, I guess.
0: Yeah, I guess. I... I guess, as usual, executives underestimate their market. Mm. That does happen, yeah. And they assume the worst about their market. And the developers and or creators who trust their audience to be smart, mm-hmm. to appreciate a thing for whatever it is, and don't try to force like some kind of mainstream element to it, are rewarded because I agree. The, main, the hardcore fans will evangelize really heavily for that game. And then the curious mainstream elements will start to come in. Yeah, Nier Automata. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, I think Nier Automata is a very accessible game, but it is very secure in its identity as a weird ass mm-hmm. Japanese RPG type thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, it never tried to sell itself as anything else. And as you said, you had the, the fans of Draken and whatnot saying, hey, this is a really great game. And the curious people kind of looking in saying, oh, that's, that's weird. I want to try that. And it worked.
0: Yeah. Well, Nadia, as I'm talking through this news, and I, and I think about what's number 19 in our top 25 RPG list, I, I detect a, I want to say, a, a pattern forming, and I, I want to ask you a question. Mm-hmm. There's a theme to this episode, and that theme is, why aren't there more space RPGs? Because space is terrifying.
1: Yeah, it's great subject matter for an RPG. You're right, yes, that that is a good point, uh... Space terrifies me, but that in itself would make for
0: a good basis for an RPG, wouldn't it? So I was going through kind of the old RPG kind of histories, right? Mm -hmm. And expecting to see like some great examples of RPGs set in space. And what I discovered is there are a lot of sci-fi RPGs. There are very, very many. There are a lot of steampunk RPGs. There are a mm-hmm. lot of post-apocalyptic RPGs, st- cyberpunk RPGs, but RPGs explicitly set in space, somewhat rarer than than you would expect.
1: Yeah, yeah, You your mind automatically goes to, oh, well, there's Mass Effect, and then you think, okay, what else? Uh, KOTOR?
0: Mass Sword Effect,
1: Kong? KOTOR, Xenogears, kind of. <laughs> kind of, that's really kind of stretching it, but I'll give I- it to you uh final fantasy 8 set in space oh oh right they did that thing yeah <laughs> uh tar- star ocean is set in space that's right you know what i never played a star ocean game i really should rectify that
0: oh uh, you should probably play the most recent one yeah yeah it's not that great it's a really middle-of-the-road rpg for the most part but mm-hmm. it's probably the best one outside of the super nintendo games
1: Yeah, and uh, it definitely has a fan base. Like, I have a friend, a a very, very old friend uh, from back in the day who made, like, kind of a name for herself writing, like, really purposely bad Star Ocean fanfic. So,
0: there was an RPG, and we've talked about this on this podcast before. And it's funny, somebody mentioned it, and they're like, I hope this appears in the top 25 list. That's Infinite Space. Oh, shoot. I'm trying to remember.
1: I, I know that that name, and I'm trying. I'm blanking on like putting a, a picture to the name.
0: All right, Infinite Space was a DS game. It was one of the first wave of platinum developed games, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. And basically, it's about you become the captain of a starship, and you steadily upgrade the starship. You can get new starships. You can build a fleet. The turn-based combat is like spaceship combat. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And then, but also there are like boarding actions. Mm-hmm. Uh, you go to planets and there's kind of a um, uh, conversation, dialogue choice based conversations. It's way too big for the DS. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can imagine. Massively very so. It's a In very ambitious way. game, but it was really creative. Mm-hmm. It was an interesting game. And I wish there were more like it. Did you play it? Oh, yeah. I totally played it. It was on my radar the second that I saw it at Tokyo Game Show, like 2008. Oh, Oh, 10 years ago, man. And when it finally came out, and I want to say like 2009, 2010, I did Mm -hmm. play it. And in fact, I reviewed it. And really enjoyed it. What did you review it for? What? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Rest in peace, right? (laughs) R.I.P. Yeah. So... Nadia, I get back to you. What is it about space RPGs that it just doesn't seem like we have enough of them?
1: That is a good question because thinking about it, um, a lot of RPG fans they they kind of like that they like sci-fi and stuff like that, and uh, you would think there'd be more cross-pollination, and I guess there just isn't, is there? And I guess when people play a space game, quote unquote, they're thinking, "Oh, I want you know." flight i want sims i want planet building but uh that turn-based sort of traditional rpg gameplay just uh hasn't been given much of a chance i guess
0: yeah a lot of the space sims out there are based around strategy exactly yes galactic civilizations Mm, masters of orion yeah which uh, i loved
1: like i played that to death and too as well
0: uh or for example uh a combat space combat, yeah, yeah, which was uh, Star Control as well as Mastery of Orion, or there's shooters like Halo, yeah, yeah, Wing Commander, space space combat simulators, Rest in Peace, Once Upon a Time, <laughs> Free Space, yeah. I, I mean, there's a game called Rebel Galaxy, mm-hmm. which was made by in part by some of the creators of Diablo. Hmm, that's right. Which is a little bit privateer, a little bit elite. Mm-hmm. In that you go around the galaxy You build a ship, you go around the galaxy You're completing quests You never really leave your starship But mm-hmm. it has some RPG elements People call right. it an RPG So uh, that game is Fairly interesting I suppose I, I think if you go back to the history Of RPGs RPGs began Or stem from two very distinct Routes mm-hmm. Maybe three One Route number one, war games Mm-hmm. route number two token mm-hmm. route number three dungeons and dragons right all very fantasy based yeah things yeah not swords very and spacey. sorcery i mean it translates to space but it doesn't necessarily translate to the stuff we like the most about space which is i don't know spaceships dying in a vacuum <laughs> that's terrifying nadia <laughs> yes i know it's terrifying Jeez, well, why do you keep going to the dark elements of it
1: <sighs> i don't even know i guess i just i have i've always had nightmares about space since i was a little girl really
0: yes yes so that have you ever seen apollo 13 yes so you yes, know what scene i'm talking about yes <laughs> okay <laughs> yes I and i read the book so what you're saying is you're not going to emigrate to mars with me
1: No, 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 no. Uh, Maybe Europa, if they have something, if they find something really cool under the ice. But uh, no, Mars can can be Mars. Nadia will be Nadia on Earth. Yes.
0: Obviously, there are a couple of good examples of space RPGs. It's funny, when I think about how many space
1: RPGs, quote unquote, uh, are actually really heavy on the fantasy and kind of wuss out and give you swords and stuff. And and just like, you know, funny aliens and call it Star
0: ocean. (laughs)
1: <laughs> exactly, yeah. Fantasy Star is not like that. Fantasy Star is very much, it embraces its alien nature. And I, I've always liked that very much about the series. And that, It's really a shame that it's not, you know, more of a thing, especially over here.
0: It'd be cool to have like a Legend of Galactic Heroes type RPG or Dune type RPG, mm-hmm. which Fantasy Star in some ways is like Dune. And we'll get into that a little later. But I I think that stuff like Star Wars... Which, you could say KOTOR is a space RPG through and through, right? Um, Yeah. Stuff like Star Wars is basically fantasy in space.
1: It is, yeah. And that's always, I guess, why I've always had more of a preference for that versus Star Trek, I'm sorry. And stuff like Nadia. (laughs) (laughs) That took you a second to catch up on, didn't
0: it? I would play a Star Trek RPG. A Star Trek RPG could be really good. Is there no Star Trek RPGs? I am still waiting for the definitive, I'm captaining a starship. And the game isn't me going outside the starship and going on quests. Like, Mm -hmm. commanding the starship is the RPG.
1: Right. Uh, We would never see you again. But, yeah, I can understand the appeal of why you'd love that.
0: Where you slowly but think FTL, Mm -hmm. but without the permadeath. (laughs) Yeah. Where you slowly but surely build up your ship. You Mm -hmm. upgrade it. You bring in new crew members. You can launch the fighters, launch the fighters, you can go on away (laughs) missions. Combat is term-based, really nice term-based exterior shots of uh, fire the phasers, load the Mm -hmm. torpedoes, launch the fighters, that kind of thing. That would be cool. Going on quests, Uh, engaging on diplomacy with other people. Yeah, yeah. Don't be a jerk. Doesn't have to be a third party. Doesn't have to be a third person shooter. Though that could be cool if you wanted to go with your team. Mm-hmm. Sending. Uh, the closest I've gotten is Star Trek Online. Yeah, yeah. Which is a game. Yeah, it's still going, but
1: <laughs> it's a game. Pause. A game, full stop.
0: Uh, I don't. I have, Star Trek Online is fine. It's fine for a free to play RPG. Right, right. You said you wanted to mention Star Trek Control 2.
1: Yeah, and I know it's not really RPG-ish, uh, although I've heard that Mass Effect was very heavily based on it. Uh, there sure is a whole lot of talking and diplomacy, though. That is that is for certain. Although most of the action is uh, shooting. Uh, it's not really turn-based. It is, all, it is all, like, you know, real-time action. So I can't, with my conscience, say that it is a an RPG, but gosh, it has some great character building and some great race building and some great world building. So I love it for those reasons.
0: Yeah, it does have the best world building, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, it really does. It's just a, a riot from beginning to end. And you can play it for free. You can play the HD remake for
0: free, I believe. I always liked, uh, the thing that always stood out to me was the almost mystery science theater like aliens that you could talk to. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, so- like the Captain Fiffo... Surprise and terror! <laughs> yeah, hailing them was a lot of fun. I, the thing yeah. I think that's interesting is a lot of our standard RPG mechanics translate really well to a space, specifically a space setting. And we've seen mm-hmm. that in kind of the cyberpunk, steampunk games, where instead of spells, you have, I don't know, hacking.
1: Yeah, exactly. Or, again, in the case of uh, uh, Final Fantasy Star, instead of magic, you have tech.
0: Yeah, exactly. Or... I mean, and in a turn-based RPG, a gun can operate just fine, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. There, there are several with that. I mean, look at Luca from Chrono Trigger. She had a gun.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. And guns can be a lot of fun because instead of just doing a slash thing, you can have like cool pyrotechnics. You can mm-hmm. do area of effect attacks with rockets or or that kind of thing. Uh, I already mentioned that I want a game where I can build up a crew or something. I, I think that in party-based RPGs, finding a large collection of characters can be really appealing, and that ties in just really naturally to the idea of having a ship.
1: Yeah, you're right. Um, thinking about it, something like the recruiting the 108 stars from Suikoden, I don't see why that wouldn't work for in a spaceship uh, point of view, because you need a hell of a lot
0: of people to run a spaceship. Oh, that would be great. I mean, yeah. you, you get a little bit of that from Cosmic Star Heroine, Right, that's true. Which we were talking about earlier. But the Cosmic Star Heroine kind of de-emphasizes the spaceship aspect aside from using it as a way to traverse to different planets.
1: Right, right. It's definitely more on the fantasy side of the, uh, the sci-fi genre.
0: A little bit. I mean, it kind of both, right? <laughs> it's very yeah, anime. Yeah.
1: It's, a, it's a lot of fun, though. I, I do like some of the world building that game has going on, like the whole gun mancy thing like come on that's great magic and guns two great tastes that go together well
0: and thinking about it a lot of the games a lot of the games that are set in space that do have a spaceship that you command or fly in mm-hmm. treat them almost like airships from final fantasy you're right they're just uh, they're just there to traverse
1: from one spot to the next and not much else
0: yeah exactly like you they, the mechanics that aren't quite the same uh, i think there was a cool thing in star trek online which in Star Trek online borrowed it from a different game and i forget what but the notion of being able to send your crew members on quests mhm i feel like they borrowed it from assassins creed brotherhood but <laughs> i love that I-, I love that where like you send them on a timed quest they're gone for x number of minutes and then they return with some kind of with some kind of prize or loot or something
1: yeah, you're going to hate to hear this, but that was a, that's a mechanic in a lot of free-to-play
0: mobile games. Yeah, but it works.
1: It does work. I'm not. Yeah, it, it absolutely does. And
0: then it sorts it, the it sorts the crew members by rarity,
1: and you can get them in loot boxes. <laughs> oh, thank God you let me out! I can breathe again.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, uh, No Man's Sky has a similar mechanic. Actually, you can send your you can build a fleet in that game, and you can send mm-hmm. your frigates on quests that's cool yeah so and then either they'll come back damaged or mm-hmm. they'll come back with lots of money and you'll like you can read their quest log and it'll be like went to this negotiated like some kind of new trade deal with this alien species went here encountered pirates got into a big fierce battle they totally weren't ready for this combat frigate. and then it <laughs> yeah it's cool i like that that is cute yeah yeah so, that is cute I think that element ties in really well with RPGs for the most part. Um, I think so, yeah. The only... Correct me if I'm wrong. I think the, the only space RPG I can think of that lets you really, truly have an appreciable impact on your ship is Mass Effect.
1: I don't know our, like space-based RPGs as well as you do, but uh, I cannot think of any any game that really lets you... Any RPG that lets you like really focus around
0: a ship, as you say. Mass Effect 2... Puts a premium on upgrading the Normandy for the final mission. Right. Um, so in that respect, the ship plays a much greater role in the in how everything plays out. But otherwise, for the most part, it's still an airship. It's not like you're directly controlling it. It's not mm-hmm. like you're recruiting crew members for it. There are no like gameplay layers or customization layers that go with this thing.
1: Right, right. And uh, thinking about, again, Star Control 2, that was a game where you... Developed your flagship, and you could bring it into battle, but it was a bad idea. Uh, But you you could also control it directly, so it's not really very
0: RPG-ish. No, bring the flagship into battle. It's cool. It looks cool. (laughs) It looks so weird. Damn precursors. I think when it comes to RPG settings, one of the reasons that Cyberpunk just works really well is because it has a much more direct translation into what you would expect from a fantasy RPG. So instead of Mm -hmm. going through a fantasy world, you're going through a sci-fi dystopian world like in Fallout.
1: Yeah, or uh, I never played Shadowrun, but that was always a very popular sort of cyberpunk RPG.
0: I do think that there's an opportunity, though, for example, like it's cool to go from planet to planet and Mm -hmm. being able to jump around from a star system because it lets you have lots of interesting settings and characters Mm -hmm. and aliens... Uh, Mass Effect does this, KOTOR does this, other games does this where you go to, Cosmic Star Heroin does this, where you go to a planet, and then that planet has a problem and its own quest, and it's almost like going to a different village.
1: Yeah, yeah, except bigger. Yes, it it makes
0: the scale feel a lot bigger. It does. Yeah. I know you've never played Final Fantasy VIII, but that that game has a starship in space. I've played, um...
1: Part of it, I played most of it. Like I don't know how far I got, to be honest with you, but uh, I do know of the starship. I do know reno takes her her mask off, the Ragnarok. That's right, and renoa takes her helmet off in space. Does she? I heard that, or it broke, or something, or or, or she should have died and she didn't die.
0: I don't way. remember that. I just remember that all of the stuff on the moon is the best part of that game.
1: Yeah, that's where the monsters come from, isn't
0: it? Yes, they come from the moon. <laughs> Those
1: monsters came from the moon. The lunar cry. Yeah. Oh, god. That's so Final Fantasy four.
0: Yes, exactly. But I re- it's creepy. It's appropriately creepy. It's interesting. It differentiate. It feels very Final Fantasy, but it differentiates it from Final mm. Fantasy seven. Final Fantasy eight much more than Final F- Final Fantasy seven has a steampunk element, Final Fantasy eight feels much more properly sci-fi in some respects. Though, it does, yeah. Final Fantasy VII, you go into space too. That's
1: right. That was always a little bit of a surprise for me when I first saw that scene because something like that was, was very unusual for an RPG back in the day.
0: But in that game, Sid Highwind is more like the character from, um, you know that guy who wanted to prove that the Earth is flat, so he built his own rocket?
1: <laughs> Didn't yes. Sid
0: Highwind build his own rocket? To go he did space. shinra funded it yes and he manages to get into space for a bit and be like "Ooh, cool i've fulfilled yeah. my dream i've seen the world from below from above whereas in final fantasy 8 you get a full-blown starship right right. Yeah, right that is different yeah it looks like a it looks like a starship it looks like the white star from babylon 5 as opposed to an airship
1: <laughs> i wonder if they like babylon 5 and they're like damn we're gonna take
0: that idea almost certainly not <laughs> I have no idea what how popular it was in Japan, but it wasn't even that popular here. That's true. Although I did know a couple of people who really liked it. So what's your favorite space RPG, Nadia? Like, if you had to think about it, what would you say um, is the one that you like the best? And Xenogears well, kind of counts, but you spend all the time on the ground. Like, you only see the spaceship in yeah. the beginning. I, I mean, there's Xenosaga you know, Chronicles X...
1: Yeah, I'm trying to think. Xenoblade Chronicles, I know it's not traditional sort of space RPG stuff, but it really does have you flying around on these titans that are... I can't remember how close they skirt to the atmosphere, if at all, because they live in this kind of, like, surfaceless world, but I just love that aspect of that kind of biotechnological titan constructs that carry these cities and these people. I thought that was really cool. So I, I don't know if I can count it as a space RPG. I guess if you're going to have to... uh if you're going to hold a gun to my head, I would say probably Fantasy Star 4.
0: I think, uh, I was just thinking, it just reminded me that Xenosaga is a game that exists and does take place in space. <laughs> sorry,
1: Xenosaga. There you go.
0: You know, I never really liked Xenosaga.
1: I never played Xenosaga. I, I just know Xenoblade Chronicles. Uh, I don't even know Xenoblade. Uh, sorry, I don't even know. Uh, what was the first one on the PlayStation? Xenogears? Uh, I didn't even play Xenogears, believe it or not.
0: I am actually pretty surprised by that. Especially given its uh, tie-ins, I mean the fact that like Mitsuda did its, its soundtrack, uh, its deep square roots and everything, and how yeah, it's...
1: I just never got around to playing it.
0: And Xenoblade introduces Cosmos or Cosmos uh, and no, Android. Yeah, is it.
1: Is it Cosmos? Cosmos? No one knows.
0: There's a great scene where they're all flying through space, and then she just hits the window like a bug. <laughs> And everybody's just kind of staring up like, what the hell? And then she's like, hello. And then she, and they they're screaming. like, should we let her in? I don't know. <laughs> Stuff it's like, like that can be a great scene.
1: It's like uh, there's a bit from The Onion where talking to, Austro- talking to astronauts or ClickHole, one of the sites where it's like they're saying you never really appreciate, you know, how life is on Earth until you have, like, Hernandez outside begging to be let in from the airlock and like, but Hernandez is sitting right beside you and... <laughs> Begging you not to open the airlock. Don't open the airlock. And it really puts life on Earth into perspective.
0: Yeah. If uh, if they had just not opened the airlock in the original Alien, if they had just listened to Ripley. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Uh, they could have avoided all this horror.
1: Yeah. See, don't open the airlock. Don't ever open it.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, we're going to continue on to our, another, our next section which also covers space rpgs as see if you can guess which one all right we're back with the top 25 rpg countdown it is continuing and this one here is number 19 let's listen to a little clip from that game Yes, number 19 on this list, Fantasy Star 4, which originally came out in 1993 in Japan on the Sega Genesis, came out in 1995 in North America, considered one of the best RPGs, if not the best RPG to come out on the Sega Genesis, and joining me to talk about it for the first time ever on Acts of the Blood God. He appeared on Active Time Babble, Once Upon a Time, Retronauts Regular, uh, Shane
3: Benhausen. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm a longtime fan and lurker on the axe, so I'm very happy that you thought of me when it came time to talk about possibly the secret best 16-bit RPG of all time and a series that's maybe, like, you know, the single dearest RPG franchise to my heart, Phantasy Star.
0: I remember listening to you talking about it on Retronauts back in the day, and I I think the story that stands out to me still is when you were talking about playing Phantasy Star 3 for the first time... And you had gathered all of your friends together to watch it and you turned it on and it was such a disappointment and you couldn't believe it. You were so bummed out that you sent them all home.
3: <laughs> well, it's, it's, you know, and it's funny because Final 3 is like definitely the dark horse of this franchise in terms of the main line. And, you know, years later, you learn that it was made kind of simultaneously with, um, you know, parts of 2 and 4 by a completely different team. And, the, and it shows because it's so different than the rest of them. and then, and it was kind of a crushing disappointment at the time because Fantasy Star One and two were you know these really ahead of their time, spectacular, best in class. If you you know these are these games that it had you played them, you know you couldn't stop talking about how good they were, and you waited for this new one. And three was, yeah, weird and strange. and although it has its own, you know quirks um that are worthwhile, in general, it was a crushing disappointment. Uh, and so that's why Fantasy Star Four being what it is, uh this culmination of the full franchise and bringing back what was so great about the second game in particular yeah that's kind of like fighter 4 you know is 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 a monumental game in my own personal history of just like re- redeeming a series that had gone astray you know um so yeah, I mean, but but really, before we really dive into Fantasy Star Four, I kind of want to like set the stage for what it was like when Fantasy Star first came to the scene because I know you're a little bit younger, kind of a millennial cat. Um, yeah, I'm uh,
0: the baby here.
3: Um, so as a member of the Generation X, I, I was I was lucky enough to have been there from the beginning. Um, and like you know, anybody who's listened to Retronauts kind of knows like the era of like 1987, 88 in America was full on Nintendo mania. Like you know, me, all my friends, all we eat, breathe, sleep nintendo right um and sega sega genesis i mean sega master system excuse me their 8-bit console was like a distant second place with so maybe you had
0: a, a master system
3: no i had an nes and oh, okay. no one nobody else in my gen in my really close friend group um like my neighborhood friends had a master system but because you're reading all the magazines like about you know video games such as like game pro egm what's a pre pregm like game players like in this very early era, like before EGM issue one, like video game buyer's guide, like this 1988, 89 era where NES mania is erupting, you would read like a few pages about Sega Master System or like Atari 7800 in there too, right? Um, and uh, you, you would be aware of Master System. And then like, finally, uh, when it got to like seventh grade... Uh, I was in a different pod, you know, with different new kids. And there's a new, there's a kid who's, shout out to Mick, my friend Mick from seventh and eighth grade. He was rich. Like none of my friends were rich. Mick was rich. So he had a Sega Master System. He didn't have an NES, which was weird because everybody had NES. But like he wanted to be cool. So he had the full like Sega Master System with all the games, 3D glasses, Light Blaster, and all these games. So we like- So he would and- be
0: the modern equivalent of a kid who has a full on- pc setup full uh completely top end with a vr headset in the whole nine yards
3: right and it was this like undiscovered country you read about you've seen in magazines and say se- you know you were ma- you were aware of Sega games from the arcade like zaxon and stuff you know so we remember you know this is the era of like you know seventh grade you're going to spend the night so we'd, we'd spend stand all night playing match system games um so but he didn't like role-playing games and i was trying to convince him to get fantasy star also Fantasy Star was seventy dollars, which is you know twenty dollars more than the average NES so game. So you
0: heard about Fantasy Star through a magazine. Through,
3: mag- through magazines,
0: because that full- was
3: how you heard about games back then, right? And there were there was a beautiful full page ad with the art, and it's and like you know it's it's clearly a fantasy game with interesting sci fi elements. And mind you, this is nineteen eighty eight or 89? 88. because it came out December eighty seven in Japan, I believe, and December eighty eight in America. And so this is before Dragon Warrior is out in America, before Dragon Quest is out in America, before Final Fantasy is out in America. Here is this game, Fantasy Star. If you look at, you know, Fantasy Star, not only does it have beautiful top-down, lush, detailed, you know, field maps, three planets, beautiful, you know, forward-scrolling 3D mazes, a female protagonist. It's crazy. It's like, you know, you see this and you're like, what the hell is this game? Anyway, I finally convince Mick to rent Fantasy Star because there's a there's a like a, a local video store that has masters games for rent, right? And he doesn't like it. He's like, you wanna borrow my Master System for the weekend? You can. So I'm like, holy shit, right? So I borrow his Master System, play Fantasy Star, I don't beat it. I get pretty far. And I'm like, this is like the greatest thing of all time. Fast forward, I don't get I know I never get a match system until much later in life. But when Sega Genesis comes out, you can get a power base converter to play basketball games on your Sega Genesis. So I get a Sega Genesis in 1990, and I immediately buy buy the power base converter and buy Fantasy Star. and And at that point, I picked up like 40 bucks, which is like a steal because it used to be 70. Anyway, so my love affair with Fantasy Star begins. Then Fantasy Star Two was you know shortly after Sega Genesis launched, they're showing a few screenshots of Fantasy Star Two, and it looks fantastic. You know, it looks like if you're me who love Fantasy Star, it's like oh man, it's like Fantasy Star. Way better graphics in the field. No 3D dungeons, but the 2D dungeons look really good, and the characters look interesting. Um, and Fantasy yeah, Star, you two don't th- have to
0: have these crazy ass maps to be able to navigate anywhere,
3: <laughs> right? And whereas Fantasy Star b- borrowed very heavily from the elements of like Star Wars and you know some normal fantasy tropes, and kind of a weird mishmash of that. Fantasy Star Two is full on sci-fi and kind of dystopian. Interesting, like a little Star Trek Next Generationy. Um, and there's I lots mean, of the high-
0: first thing I thought about when I was playing. I mean, this is getting ahead of me myself. Is was fantasy? Was Dune? A little bit of
3: Dune, yeah, a little bit also of Lovecraft. De- definitely Dune, because one of the planets to has is like a, a giant desert. Um And yeah, there's some kind of Lovecraftian horror. Um, like you're the main. The protagonist is like an agent for the government. The government betrays him. You like you're raising this like mutant bio monster named Ney um spoiler alert like you know halfway through the game and she's like this amazing character who you're falling in love with you know she maybe not even halfway way through the game she dies like permanent death permanent death of like this one of the main characters in the game shocking you know this is again this is like 1990 right 1989 um so yeah and th- that's dying it, in
0: 1990 was not really a thing
3: right so this franchise and you know, to touch on like some you know one of the one of the creators is 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 a woman Reiko Kadama, um, you know she was the the artist uh, and she, and like you know the fact that the first game had a female protagonist the second game had several female ca- uh, cast members who are very you know key key to it including like two two of the main villains being female in Phantasy Star Two, uh, it's it, it's a spectacular game and also Phantasy Star Two has a bad ending you know spoiler alert there's like a, at the very end. The protagonists, the heroes, think they've won. Then actually, they they get attacked by people from Earth. It, end up being like the villains at the end of Final Star Two, and, and like you know, ostensibly kill every, all the protagonists at the end of the game. Um, so yeah, Final Star Two was a shocker. Anybody who was there to experience these games as they came out, it kind of actually colored as much as I love Dragon Quest and love Final Fantasy. I had played Fantasy Star, right? Like it was, it was, it was kind of nuts. So like, as, even a game as good as, Fa- as Final as Final, uh, Final Fantasy IV, I'd already like beaten Fantasy Star Two, right? It was like, so you, anybody who was there for Fantasy Star kind of has this like, you know, this look of like, oh, you know, we, we, we've seen some shit. Eh, okay, Fantasy Star Three happens. It's weird. We touched on that, uh, and then. At the point at which Phantasy 4 gets announced in Japanese magazines, like the first images, it's clearly a throwback to um, in its presentation, in its art. Uh, and you know, as as you see more, it also seems to touch on elements of Phantasy 1 as well. So everyone's getting super excited. It gets announced um, and delayed in America several times. Uh, and by the time it finally does come out in 1995, mind you, the year that PlayStation and you know, Sega Saturn are out. Uh are you sure it's 95, maybe ninety-four. Anyway, by the time it came out, it was very late. And it was also MSRP of ninety-nine dollars and ninety-nine cents.
0: I mean, this is pretty common for 16-bit games at this time.
3: Ah, uh, there were only three at that price point. Um Virtual I mean, Racing. A lot of them were in like the $75, $80 right. price right. point. But like but specifically 99. And like at this point, I have like a fast food job or something. I'm like saving up money for this. And I'm bound and determined to find it cheaper. And I'm I'm calling every place in the back of every magazine i eventually find a place that has it for like 85 dollars you know it's like oh what what a steal but it is it's worth whatever price tag was on it. and it's worth the long wait because immediately sega the team who made fantasy star one and two knew whatever whatever they loved about those games and they were gonna like not only make it right by three by, by like referencing that three exists because that does happen in four you do actually like you know this totally weird, you know, seemingly non-canonical game is brought back into the story, but it, it it really leans heavily on the first and second games and what everyone loved about them. So anybody who had grown up with those first two games, you know, within five years, you're suddenly getting this game that like, you know, kind of is self-aware of why you love those first two games and is bound to please you and over-deliver. Um, yeah, so that sets the stage for Fantasy Star Four, or as it's known in America uh fantasy star end of the millennium (laughs) yes you you
0: you mentioned Ryoko kodama who i think is the name that is most frequently attached to fantasy star 4 i've been called the first lady of rpgs she recently did an interview with retronauts actually
3: she did yes yeah she's also known as phoenix Rie. that was kind of like the nom de plume of her early work um and yeah, she, she she I really think she did have a much more direct role overseeing and directing for. Whereas on two, she was um, not the main director, but you know she had a heavy hand on it as well. But uh, yeah, and I feel like by the time that they went into full production on Fantasy Star Four, they realized that like you know what had happened over on you know, with Square and Annex and like the bar had really been raised in terms of what people expected from presentation, from story, from interaction with characters, from world. Because um, as good as Fantasy Star Two is. If you go back and play it now, I mean, I don't know if you've ever made it through it. It's, you know, it's punishing. Um, there have been some tweaks made to, like, later re-releases on, like, the Sega Ages PS2 version where you can, like, double the walking speed and lower the encounter rate and stuff like that. But Fanstar Star 2 is archaic in some respects, but, you know, I, I think it holds up. But Phantasy Star 4 is much less archaic and, and brings in a lot of gameplay elements you might have seen from other modern games, like in the combat of Ansr Four, there's kind of these interesting double, triple attacks, uh, where you know party members will execute things together, kind of like a la chrono trigger, right? And like that's something that people love in JRPGs. Is like that kind of thing when you know when the, the, these these options are in battle. Um, so yeah, I feel like Ansr Four, even though it came to America late, by the time it came here, it wasn't dated and it was still like best in class and definitely the most advanced um, and beautiful role playing game for the Mega Drive.
0: What I find interesting about Fantasy Star 4 is we regard it as a beautiful game that, for the most part, holds up pretty well. But at the time, it was considered pretty dated by a lot of American reviewers, which goes to show that American reviewers, circa 1995, didn't have a lot of good taste.
3: <laughs> uh, I mean, I often tell the story of, like, you know, that era people really were kind of starting to sour on 2d and tradition, even though 3d wasn't ready yet really, but it was on the horizon. Right. So like it quickly became kind of passe to be into things that were the same kind of cool thing that you were into in 1989 or 1990. Um, and yeah, I think if you look back at a lot of reviews towards the end of Sega Genesis and even super Nintendo, like, yeah, some, some reviewers just kind of didn't get it. They like, they wanted to move on. Uh, and I think, I remember, you know, like there were reviewers who gave this 8s and stuff, and it's it's clearly not an 8 out of 10 in any respect. And it really didn't get 10s, and I think it should have. Um, yep. I think, yeah, I, I, I think it just made it here too late. I think had it released, um, you know, a year earlier in the States, it would have had a better reception.
0: Yeah, moreover moreover, uh, it came out on the Sega Genesis, which did not have a great RPG lineage at that time. It had some games over in Japan, but it was not ultimately that successful over in Japan. And it made a lot of its success over here in the U.S. And I think it was one of the first consoles that you're going to see where people were, were a, a different sort of fan base. The kind of fan base that would perhaps go on to be really into, I don't know, Halo or first-person shooters or hardcore Western games. Uh, well, really embraced-
3: it is interesting, because it was the Sega Genesis um, that, like, gave birth to EA Sports, really. You know, that kind yes, of... exactly. Became, I, I bought Madden 92. I kind of learned some football rules by playing Madden. It was Genesis.
0: arcade-driven in a lot of respects.
3: It was. And, and, like, it's funny, because shmups, side-scrolling vertical shoot-'em-ups, were kind of the FPS of their era. You know, like uh so yeah you're right i think the dude bro audience was more sega genesis than the thinking math thinking person super nintendo <laughs> and definitely by the time this came out most of my rpg loving friends were squarely in the super nintendo camp and being a fantasy star sega person like i was an outlier and you know i was but but you could tell like they were a little envious uh of you know Lu- lunar and crusader of senti and some of these other interesting late you know sega releases and i think there's um, and I think, in general, the nostalgia RPG movement of modern era is missing out on a lot of what's available on Sega's 16-bit and then you know Turbo PC Engine 16-bit um, pantheon of RPGs.
0: So let's talk a little bit about Fantasy Star Four as the the game. It takes a place roughly a thousand years after the events of Fantasy Star Two, which kind of gives it this really fantastic epic scope. Um, Kodama said that. She really liked how, when she watched Star Wars, she noticed that how it fused elements of Western and Asian culture, and she sort of did the same thing with Fantasy Star Four. There's an anime look to it, but she also puts in a lot of medieval kind of elements, and similar to Star Wars, it has kind of a an epic sweep to it.
3: Um, Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, and I I feel like the Star Wars comparison is apt, actually. You know, and like I kind of mentioned it in in the first game, like some of the you know, the, the the soldiers in the towns literally look like Star Wars stormtroopers and you know, and by the time you get to Fantasy Star Four, you know, you you do feel that. You feel like there's like these this interesting you know, selection of planets full of rogues and scoundrels and bounty hunters and magic. but yet there's magic too and monsters and religion. Um and, you know, pretty pretty early within by when you get into Fantasy Star Four, even though it's an entirely new cast of, of characters, um they they kind of look like characters from the previous games like kind of you know like there's clear callbacks to Nay and to Alice and to um Noah some of these characters from the first few games and and, and it's not unintentional you know and and also from the very beginning uh, this game presents cutscenes um kind of using these moving manga panels you know and this is the era where on Sega CD you're you're getting you know, anime style cutscenes with animation and here and there. but it, but um, surprisingly these these story scenes are really compelling. And I think um, when I think back to Pan Star 4 I often do think of the cutscenes um, kind of f- before I start thinking of the combat or the towns or, or dungeons even because like the cutscenes are very memorable and it makes the characters memorable. And that was something that wasn't quite as prevalent in the previous three games. Like there wasn't a whole lot of characterization. a lot of it was kind of in your head canon and Mag Star 4 actually has a lot more writing and a lot more story. Um, and I think that's one of the things that made me happy because it didn't—that wasn't something I expected it to have. So I, I give Kodama a lot of uh, a lot of praise for for bringing that element into this game for the finale.
0: Yeah, looking at the old the looking at the way that the dialogue is set up in that kind of manga style setting that you were just describing, it really stands out because even today with so many JRPGs, they go with either just straight up text boxes or they go with the little heads that are talking back and forth and there's not a lot of artistry to it whereas this one it is almost like you are watching cutscenes, except they aren't annoying and boring and cumbersome and non-interactive it feels like you're reading a comic book and it really makes fantasy star 4 stand out in my opinion versus its contemporaries and even games that come out today, and it is kind of a shame to be perfectly honest that more games didn't pick up that particular look,
3: yeah. I think maybe it was really time consuming, you know, because oh, yeah and, and there's you know, and like there's lots of unique things you only see once or twice. It's not as if they reuse these things throughout the game. So um, yeah, and it's a long game, too. it's it's, you know it 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 has to draw a lot of story together because I said, you know, I said it directly references events that happened thousands of years ago in the previous games um, and you go to different planets and there's tons of dungeons and a myriad of characters. You know, because Final Star 2 had a lot of characters to collect. This also has a lot of characters to to collect. Um, and, you know, it, it, the pacing is is really good because there's kind of some recurring enemies. Um, there's a bad guy, Zeo, who you fight several times and then, you know, the series the main series antagonist is in Dark Force, Dark Falls, Dark Force. Like, you fight various <laughs> incarnations of Dark Force throughout this game, kind of increasingly harder and larger and crazier. Um, and, you know, that was new. Like, none of the previous games had that either. So I feel like the pacing, the story, um, and also the art. Because, like, one thing, you know, like, Sega Genesis had a really limited color palette. And, you know, games tend to look samey. Um, and this one kind of, like... You know, smartly, effectively use that color palette to have a lot of diversity. When you know, it's not easy to to pull that off on the second Genesis.
0: Uh, You contextualized it by saying that it came out; they were feeling the pressure from Final Fantasy. We were still a year away from uh, Final Fantasy VI, and I I think I want to say two years away from from Chrono Trigger.
3: I think so. yeah. Yeah.
0: So this was around the time that I mean, we had Secret of Mana which was a fantastic-looking game on the SNES. Uh, Final Fantasy V had come out. Uh, I believe Dragon Quest V came out in 1992, I want to say.
3: I think you're right, yeah.
0: Yeah. So I think Phantasy Star Four absolutely was right up there. If you look at the graphics, and maybe this is getting a little ahead of it, uh, it's actually, I love how big the enemies are. They're really well animated. They're really detailed and interesting to look at has right. a really distinct and interesting visual style which i totally attribute to the fact that the director one of the directors was an artist and seemed to really care about that kind of thing
3: well and i think fantasy star has always praised has prized aesthetics and art even going back to the first game you know fantasy star in 1987 when you get into an encounter in fantasy star 1 there's a background Based on the type of ground that you're on, with like, you know, I think there's like seven or eight, maybe 10 varieties in the game. And like, they're animated, and the enemy pops up on screen and has three or four frames of animation to attack you. And this is like in an era where, you know, Dragon Quest had what, like, you know, much simpler backgrounds, no real animation. Final Fantasy had almost no animation, almost no backgrounds in battles. So, like, in Fantasy Star 2, it was a little bit of a um, disappointment for some that there was no real um, background in the battles. There really beautiful animations for all of the characters and your attacks, and lots of custom animations. Um, and then in Final Star 3, they tried to have best of both worlds, kind of, in that it had unique backgrounds, but they were kind of simple. The enemy animations were mostly kind of simple, and you never really saw your characters fighting. So, that, so Final Star 4 has everything. It has unique backgrounds, animated enemies, you see your characters fighting, it finally gives you everything you've wanted from the encounters. And Final Star 4 has... Turn-based JRPG of all time. For me, in that they're they're good, they're deep. You can set up really um complicated macros that you can then just execute um to speed up the battles. So when you're really good at them, you can like not quite as fast as like secret and one and Two, but almost as fast in terms of getting through encounters in a moderately interesting way in, in places where you might have to grind. Um so yeah, for me it's like it's one of the best, the best games of the of the era in terms of actual mechanics and presentation for combat.
0: Yeah, I was looking at the macros and remembering them, and I was like, man, uh, the first thing I thought of was actually Final Fantasy XII, in some respects. But because this well, is, yeah, you're right. yeah, because this yeah. is, but because this is term based, um, in some ways, it's actually perhaps even more complicated because you're putting together a complicated string of attacks, and then of course. It can turn into combo attacks which are very powerful.
3: Right. Yeah. And like I I, you know it's funny just talking about this takes me back to the time of like by the end of that game having these multiple macros of combo attacks. Um and yeah, and some of the boss encounters are really interesting and unique. It's 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 such a spectacular game. Like it's it's funny, like you know, as much as I always tell myself, Oh, every few years I'm gonna play through these games, this isn't a game that I've played through in the last 20 years, and um, I, I have played through Fantasy Star 1 and 2 again a few times in the last 20 years, so I think you giving this game such a high, a high ranking on your uh, chart may ins- inspire a full playthrough for me on the, the PS2 version, because uh, I because uh, that, that disc uh, that came out in Japan only, which has all the games on it, it's a fantastic disc. I'm really happy I have it. And, uh, yeah. Wow.
0: <laughs> so the, ki- the story picks up... Uh- With a couple of characters, we have Alice, and then we have Chaz, and they're kind of the world is kind of in decline. And I want to say that the the universe of Fantasy Star across this epic scope, as I said, is maybe a consistent story of decline. Like Fantasy Star Two wasn't actually like the ending of Fantasy Star Two didn't have great results for the universe at large. When I looked at when I look at the art. Of fantasy star four when i look at the world of fantasy star four my first thought is zelda one which is like a desert right
3: it, right it, well so so fantasy star two is is a full-on tragedy i mean like not only is is you know in the first game there's three planets in this beautiful star system this shining jewel with three planets and in Fantasy Star two that you're on those same three planets um except one of them that used to be a desert has now been terraformed to be a paradise and that's where you start mota motavia um but then, like, as you've learned more about this utopia, you you realize it's actually uh, you know terrible and evil and corrupt. But then one of the other planets, Palma, the desert planet, uh, where you spend a lot of Phantasy Star One, um actually gets destroyed halfway through Fantasy Star Two. Like the entire planet is obliterated. So like yeah, you know, this this shining jewel, uh, this, this three, one of the planets is gone forever. So like that tragedy before the ending of Fantasy Star Two, where you know your 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 party is destroyed. Um, so yeah. And then, Phantasy Star Three is all about these people who left the planet that was destroyed, Palma, because all, all of the um, denizens, a lot of them, escaped on these giant, giant sp- uh, spaceships. Um, so that follows what happened to some of the people from Palma uh, in, tra- in search of a new planet. And then, you know, Phantasy star Four brings you back to what's left of, Mo- of Motavia and Desolus, the other planet. And uh, yeah, it's it's clearly like. In, in not in, in this, the last thousand years have not been good. Like society has kind of gone downward. Cause the I Star II, as I said, was kind of this, like ut- Motavia was kind of this utopian, um, futuristic world. And like, yeah, we're, we're Alice and, uh, is he Chaz or is he Rudy in America? Chaz? Chaz, Chaz. I think he's Rudy in Japan. Um, yeah, yeah, they clearly, it's kind of like not as futuristic as it used to be and kind of moved on in decrepit, um, so it makes sense with the full continuity of of the of the series. And when you finally get back to Dezo, the other planet, um, you know it's it hasn't changed quite as much. Um, and there's some other new places you go over the course of Phantasy Star Four, but in general, like the continuity was there. And you know I'm kind of skipping ahead. but at one point, you you know you do kind of find the remnants of one of those other ships from Palma. So it's like you know it even throws you back you know nod to fantasy Star Three is there. So, yeah like you know, there, there, it clearly wasn't an attempt to escape from the past of the series it was a, a huge embrace of, of it
0: yeah and uh, i mean i'd be remiss if i didn't mention that put into context kind of the the different ways that it draws upon the sci-fi influences from japan at that time there's a little bit of you you mentioned in fantasy star 3 they're escaping on different planet uh, different ships from this dying planet it's it's a little bit like a little Macross in there. It's a little bit of Legend of Galactic Heroes in there. You you can definitely feel the influences
3: in these games. Oh, totally. I mean, it's it's funny as as you get older and as you see more seventies anime and read manga, it's like you know you know or just watch more Studio Ghibli stuff. It's like so much of what we thought was original in so many of our JRPGs of the eighties is literally just like stenciled from you know Alien, Blade Runner, Macross, uh, you know all the, the ghibli stuff or you know recently i i i finally saw um the ideon I, De- I, I think it's called that like it, it's the, the other film that the guy who made matt Cross made and it's like it's actually, like oh here's a, actually here's
0: shane a-. it was by the guy who did gundam
3: right the guy who did gundam, i'm sorry but i'm then sorry like, oh, i'm
0: gonna well actually
3: you here that was that was good but you're right for me who's a huge evangelion fan it was like oh here's evangelion like got it like
0: yeah yeah it's a classic but That's as cool. the game goes on the, it you you recruit a lot of different characters and it becomes very Lovecraftian in space. Uh, you discover a, kind of an evil cult. It's led by a guy uh, named Zio, as you already mentioned. And uh, over time, you're fighting eventually a extra dimensional creature, uh, pure darkness. Uh, literally, that's I believe that's her name. Pure darkness. Uh, her, her,
3: her name is the profound. Darkness. The profound
0: darkness. My apologies.
3: Right, yeah. which is. Which which is a pretty satisfying final encounter, last boss, and it's something beyond Dark Forest, who I kind of mentioned had been the return, you know, this returning bad guy. Um, yeah, it really builds up. As I said, like the, the 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 boss encounters get larger and larger, more complicated, more beautifully animated. Um, and that, that's one of the things. And
0: these I, monsters look huge; they're incredible. When you're fighting them, you really it really pushes into the fact that you're fighting these. These yeah. things that are almost like from it, right? From well, like Stephen King's Lovecraft. It's true
3: because, like, I think a lot of gamers look back on the impressive, um, massive bosses that Yostak- Yostakamano drew, like X Death, Kafka, right? These these things. But I think even you know, going back to Final Star Two, the last two bosses of that game, Dark Force and Mother Brain, are these beautiful Lovecrafty and crazy animated things. And then in Final Star Four, you're right; like you could you could look at like ten of the, the bosses here, and I think you'd still be impressed by both, like. You know, how crazy and beautiful and twisted they look and just the animations. Um, yeah, so it really was a treat because it, it kind of overdelivered. um, Because it's one of the things, if you go back to Final Star 1 and 2, there aren't a lot of bosses. And there's not a lot of story either, really. And this game kind of gives you this the cadence of dungeon boss cutscene that you would expect of 1994 and 1995.
0: Yeah. But of course, I'd be totally, also totally remiss if I didn't talk about the original most famous video game, death the video game death that defined video game deaths until Eris died how was alice dying shane where were you and did you cry when that happened
3: oh i i was super happy because like again, <laughs> yes she's I, dead hooray right well and i wanted, i wanted all the callbacks i like really wanted like you know fast fast one as i said like touched me in a special young area when i was uh around all nintendo fans and yeah this game goes pretty deep like you know you, you find a statue of alice and meow and odin and noah the four heroes you kind of like end up encountering them all again there's like dungeon throwbacks you find their things and then like l- you know literally alice is like reappears and dies and it's yeah it, you know it's, it, it's almost over the top in terms of giving the fans what they want of fan service but i i was happy for it right um and you know i think fantasy star never got a fantasy star 5 there were a few other weird spin-offs and and stuff. And obviously, Phantasy Star Online is a huge other beast that I love that continues to this day. But I do feel like this game kind of closed the book on the Alice story. Um, And, yeah, like, I'm I'm happy that it went there. I think some fans might have thought it was a little too over the top, but uh, not me.
0: I don't know. Like, the way that she dies is she's initially injured and they're trying to, you know, heal her and it seems like you're going to be able to, but ultimately, she passes away and... Uh, the comparisons that were made to Eris and, and I agree with them is that with Eris she is too good for this world she is the the spiritual life force of the world as it were she's praying for the world she dies in the most dramatic way possible and by comparison Alice is um, even maybe a little more realistic a little more uh, downplayed and it perhaps hits a bit harder
3: right well and you know I think it's it's clear that she's not. She shouldn't. You know, she shouldn't be back. You know, it's been thousands of years. And like at the time, yeah, I, I guess I didn't expect her to live. So mm. I don't know. Whereas like you know, Earth, Earth dying. I think you know, where we, it was uh, dying was more shocking for me than Alice dying because like you know the return of the legendary heroine because she's definitely thought of as that in this world. I mean, there's a giant statue of her, right? So like, yeah, I'd be like, um, I, I, I don't, I don't think the Earth comparison was quite, quite apt. Um it's also interesting that like you know I was playing Final Fantasy VII the day after it came out in Japan and like 36 hours after it came out I went to Rec Games Video Import trying to find like some help with trying to figure out materia because it was all in Japanese and like the first thread on I saw was how do I bring Aerith back after Sephiroth kills her like literally like the game had been out for 24 hours so like I guess I I'm not the the best person to ask about Aerith dying either so.
0: I mean, uh, we just recorded a Final Fantasy VII retrospective on Retronauts. will probably come out in, like, several months. But <laughs> uh, we were talking a little bit about, like, how I was spoiled on Eris dying before I even really knew what Final Fantasy was.
3: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess the bummer with Alice dying is that Alice is, like, super strong protagonist. Like, you know, we didn't really touch on this, but in the beginning of Fantasy Star 1, her brother, her older brother, is, like, you know, a tough dude. He gets, like, killed by the Stormtroopers, and she's, like... Guys, I'm gonna I'm gonna fight back. Like she's straight up like direct action warrior woman. Um, in 1987. So yeah, shout out to Eris. I mean Harris Er Alice. Well, and and I think the other implication. It's been a while. Is that like this? That like um, isn't the other main character? uh, You know, like the spirit of all of these heroes kind of lives on through everyone too.
0: So, yeah, as the game progresses, you travel from uh, to a variety of different worlds. And there are quite a few callbacks to previous games, uh, among others. Lutz Returns. Lutz is an interesting character because uh, Reiko Kodama originally conceived this character as maybe being intersexed, um, which mm. I find extremely progressive for a game that was made in 1993. <laughs>
3: Well, it was interesting, because when Noah, the character of Noah Lutz, was in the first game, too, he, she was a little unclear there, too, and... you know, I like, don't
0: think Americans knew how to deal with the concept of a Bishonin character who, like, straddles the lines between male and female.
3: Right. And visually, kind of similar to, like, this Sifa Belnade's character of Castlevania 3, like, you know, this white, shrouded, blue-haired waif. Um, yeah, and... He, he, that character also returns in Fantasy Star Two at the very end of the game as well. Um, so yeah, it's it was it was good to see that callback. Um, and you know the, the the cat character meow from the first game as well is another weird character. It's basically like the sentient giant cat, you know. And then that those those characters get a callback in this game as well. Uh, that race. So yeah, I feel like this the series in general had kind of interesting archetypes and interesting. Um, species like one of the other characters, I believe Grizz is, it, is that his name in America. He's like he's this he's the uh, the native Motavian race. They're like these blue weird creatures with beaks, kind of. Um, yeah, they're like th-
0: avian creatures. Yeah,
3: yeah. And there's another character who's a cyborg in this game, and that is a. I mean, if it's a sci-fi
0: back, game, you gotta have an android,
3: right? It's there were no androids. Right, there were no char- characters in the first two games, of androids, but in the third game, there was. Uh, there were android characters, and I felt like the inclusion of android characters in this one. I think there's two android characters in this game, if I'm not mistaken.
0: Yeah, it's Ren um, and somebody else.
3: Yeah, and like the female android is interesting in that she's like a magician as well. Uh, and then there's, like, another race. There's this old bishop priest dude, Raja. He's, like, another race, I think, that lives on Dizolis or something. Like So, yeah, it's, it's a really ragtag crew, not quite as much as Chrono Cross, but for the, at the time, one of the most diverse casts in Japanese role-playing games. <laughs> what was your party? You know, um, if I think back to the end, I think it was... Oh, it's been, it's been so long. Like, Rika, right? Like, she's a girl with a claw... Uh, I liked Raja actually, and I liked, oh, Grizz. I think his name is Grizz, the the the, the blue guy. <laughs> I, mean, I, I I should have remembered all the names. It's funny because so a lot you're of different. using names.
0: Raja's game breaking,
3: uh, uh <laughs> healing to beat the game. Oh, definitely got Raja's game breaking healing. Yeah, that's a that, you, you, that is that's a thing that I just remember that. Yeah, I definitely used him to beat the, to beat this game. Um, he's a, and like you know the different texts you use with different characters and experimenting with that and. Uh, I did. I think I did buy the strategy guide for this game too because I really wanted to master it. Um,
0: but it didn't help like, much because it didn't necessarily tell you what how to access the various combos. The combos were kind of like the ba- like accessing the combos reminds me of Xenogears Gears in that it requires a lot of experimentation and can be kind of a pain.
3: It definitely was and you could go through the whole game without finding a ton of them I th- and I think the strategy guide which was like published by GamePro I think it actually did list Good all the GamePro. Com- I think I think it did list all the combinations I think that's why I bought it um just to have that because this was you know this is pre fac era uh, and it, you know I think that was a game where i I, I might have played the hell out of it to, to try to get everything too because um yeah, that's what you did back in the day you spent a hundred bucks for a game you wanted to get your money's worth out of it <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but it, you know like I think it, it, it's funny because among my friends at the time I, I think only a handful of people actually finished it too because a lot of people had already traded in their Sega Genesis by this era too and because it never really got a re-release um, on any viable platform that I know of I and mean, maybe, maybe it was on virtual console or something was it uh, but it did it's come not out a on game. the Wii in 08 okay because it's not a game that I have seen a lot of people actually playing through in the last decade so I think m- maybe it's time to to replay Phantasy Star 4 myself and uh hopefully this inclusion here gets people talking about it
0: the last thing i want to comment on music's really good in this game it has this wonderful 80s electronica feel to it that's very distinctly both sega genesis and very japanese
3: uh i'm a huge fan of of this soundtrack and i have you know sega put out some cd collection i think it's called that had had you know selections of a few games and like it has four or five tracks from this on and like one of my favorites is the one that plays when the game boots up, as the Sega logo comes on, um, and it has, like, this kind of you know, synth bass and pounding weird sounds, and kind of some dissonance, and they made a... They, they realized that the Sega Genesis sound chip is not great. I mean, you know, I defend it, I'm used to it, but, like, making good things out of it was not easy, and I think the composers here realized that, uh, you know, for, for more of a sci-fi feel, like, don't try to be as traditionally melodic, don't try to make um music that sounds like a a super nintendo soundtrack because obviously you can't so i think i think it fits really well and there's also some throwbacks there's some remixes of of um music from the first game um that are really good uh but yeah I, i think it's one of the best sega genesis soundtracks in terms of both composition and you know using the sega genesis in interesting ways to make weird sounds
0: I, I'm going to defend the Sega Genesis sound chip re- really quickly. I didn't like it back when the Sega Genesis was still a thing. But I think it has a really distinct uh, sound to it that I actually find really appealing these days. And I hear it appearing in certain EDM mixes and such. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's... it. I mean, at the time we were looking for sound chips that kind of sort of replicated what real stereo would sound like. And I think the super Nintendo did a pretty good job of that, but outside of a handful of really good games, usually Nintendo games that really made good uh, use of the super Nintendo sound chip. I think the super Nintendo sound chip ages, doesn't age as well as a lot of people think.
3: I would agree because and because it's sample based. It's kind of like cheating again. Whereas like, again, to make interesting music on Sega Genesis, you had to, you had to be creative because you had these crazy limitations, you know? So I think, I I think you're right. And like, I I was recently replaying a lot of Genesis games because of that Sega Genesis collection came out for PS4 and everything else. And, uh, yeah, like hearing, hearing this music again in, in 2018, it, it sounds better than you think it's going to. Um, and I if you're gonna go deep down the fantasy star music, uh, hit, I highly recommend seeking out the the music from the Japanese version of the first Fantasy Star, because over there the Master System, the Mark III as it's called, had a FM sound chip in it, um, so the music for Fantasy Star is totally different I mean, it's the same music, but it just sounds way better, because it's on this different synthesized chip uh, and there's not that much music in Fantasy Star, so you can actually listen to all of it pretty quickly, and I'm sure it's on YouTube or whatever, but um, yeah, if you've never heard the FM versions of the Fantasy Star dungeon music, it's like, revelatory
0: all right. One thing that we always do on this list, we always recount our favorite moment. And uh, what is your favorite moment in *Fantasy Star 4, Shane? Wow.
3: Um, it's funny. You would, you know, that's a, it's a good question. And, and like, my mind does kind of go to that weird connection to *Fantasy Star 3 that you find in the game because it's pretty deep in the game before you find that crashed ship. And because I was so disappointed in *Fantasy Star 3 and because it's this weird. Um, black sheep. I kind of wanted, I thought I wanted Fantasy Star Four to pretend like it never existed. But then, when it when it, like acknowledged that it did exist, I kind of liked that more than I thought I would. And I came to peace with it. And like years later, I, I liked Fantasy Star Three more than I used to. And I actually, ended up getting all the endings because it's a game that has like multiple endings and multiple paths and all these different characters. And uh, um, yeah, so like I, I liked that it it wasn't prepared to like cut off the black sheep of the family that had brought it back into the fold.
0: My favorite moment is when Seth is torn apart to reveal that he's the third incarnation of Dark Force.
3: Oh, that's funny, because he joined your party, this guy, he's like really weird and creepy, and I didn't trust him at all, he has like kind of a porno mustache and sunglasses, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's, that is good, and it's dark. Yeah, that's good. That's I mean,
0: good he grips place. his eye, and he's, I mean, it's not something that you necessarily see a lot of in 16-bit RPGs, I, I liked it. It's yeah, very, yeah, yeah. it's almost Fist of the North Star, and
3: yeah, it's great. Uh, I also really love the last few bosses. Like, if you haven't seen the. I think it's. A, you know, I think the Profound Darkness has like three or four forms. They're all really cool, weird animations. Um, I'm a fan. Yeah. Good stuff.
0: All right, Shane. The reason I put this game on this list is well, for one thing, I think it's the best RPG to ever come out on the Sega Genesis. Fight me. And, but also, I, I think that. While a lot of games uh that I've listed up to now have active and strong fan bases and speak to the longevity, Fantasy Star Four is kind of a kind of a cult favorite, I wanna say. And I think that is actually criminally underrated in the RPG space. We we talk about so many of its contemporaries, but we don't talk about Fantasy Star nearly enough. And I think a lot of that is Sega's fault in the way that they well, they just didn't seem to know how to carry it on after the Sega Genesis. We had Fantasy Star Online, um, that's a classic among MMORPG f- players, but much like Shining Force, uh, another perhaps underrated classic, Sega let this game series wither and die, and I think that's a I think that's a pity.
3: It is unfortunate, and you know, I was actually I was thinking about PSO, and I, I think you're giving PSO a bit of a of a tough of a tough go there. I think, you know at the time I, I was really happy that they did celebrate elements of the Phantasy star franchise because there's clear, there's clear stuff in the dna of of PSO that is tied directly to fantasy star but it, you know it did get rid of most of the gameplay stuff you know and story stuff that we liked about those games and and the other various spin-offs that they've created nova this new mobile and they just announced um again don't really seem to capture what was specifically great about the first four games, first you know, especially one, two, 1, 3, and 4. So I think you're right that like um, it burned brightly. It was really ahead of its time, this whole franchise was, and I think m- m- largely happening unbeknownst to most gamers in the West. And I think if you weren't there to experience it at the time, as I was and a few other people I know were, it's it's hard to go back and have the genuine experience and to understand why this game was so ahead of its time and so fully formed i think that's the thing about fantasy star 4 that it's overlooked because like one and two often do get revered from people like me for being so ahead of their time right but 4 really wasn't that ahead of its time it was just really good
0: all right that's fantasy star 4 for the Sega genesis number 19 on our top 25 rpg list Thanks so much for coming on the show to talk about it, Shane. I really appreciated your insight. We're going to have to have you back on Acts of the Blood God. This can't be the last time that you ever appear on it. I'm sure you're going to have a lot of good stuff to say.
3: Oh, for sure. I love RPGs. Keep up the good work. I can't wait to find out what numbers 18 through 1 are.
0: Well, I can't either. It's going to be very exciting. Shane, where can we find you on the internet? Is there anything that you want to know
3: you can find me on twitter my twitter name is shane watch it's mostly political some games um and uh i my job i, I work uh, for playstation so check out all the awesome games coming out from independent publishers every week on the playstation store
0: shane bettenhausen thanks for coming on the show and we're going to continue on to the mailbag All right, that was a lot of fun. I mean, Surprise Fantasy Star 4, that was the game that we ended up talking about. Hey, 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 there you go. Excellent. All right, Nadia, as always, we end up doing a mailbag in which we take your comments from the previous episode and read them on here. Last week we talked about Banner Saga 3, and we also talked about Divinity Original Sin and Frosty 840 says, "I made it all the way through to Banner Saga's final battle." Banner Saga 1 was crushingly, miserably, fatally difficult. Never made it past <laughs> that. Picked up the sequel, but couldn't actually pick it up. Started playing it. It was just too much for me. Banner Saga was a- certainly an excellent game with a very well-crafted story, but so much of it was or appeared to be determined by the combat deaths you suffered, and my initial only playthrough wasn't me at my most competent. Dark narratives are far more m- more bearable in films. Those at least played themselves out without any active participation. With Banner Saga and the infamous Spec Ops line, the only winning move is not to play. And so I haven't. <laughs> Nadia, did you play ba- bla- uh, Banner Saga?
1: Way back in the day. I remember it was a very big deal on mobile, and I was uh, writing about mobile games back then. So I think I even interviewed the creator, and that was for uh, That was It was a very interesting game at the time, because just that sort of Don Bluth animation was unlike anything else uh, anywhere, never mind on phones.
0: Indeed. Last Starfighter says, me and my brother are in our early 30s and grew up playing couch co-op. We recently came across this game and Divinity Original Sin. And now once every week or so we meet up to play Divinity in the same room and it's amazing. A shining light in the bleak couch co-op void. Also bonus Mm -hmm. points for every line having voice acting. Where is my pepper? Did it sprout legs and run away? Slime Knight says, "As for the re- as of the release of Divinity: Original Sin Two, Divinity Divi- Edition, I will be a fledgling newcomer to the series. I've always been interested in top-down RPGs, a la Diablo Three, but I never got into them due to the overwhelming backlog. I do my best to slog through. Hearing through the hearing about the first installment of the Original Sin series from your list truly has me excited for the variety of high points it has to offer, from substantial storytelling to in-depth combat spanning various choices and possibilities." Side note. I've been influenced by your top 25 RPG discussions so much that I bought a Vita. Oh boy, good choice. Yeah, you can play the two games on it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was really mean. That's I, mean yeah. There are a lot more than two games on the PlayStation Vita. It's actually pretty solid if you like JRPGs, or in my yeah, case, it, Super Robot Wars.
1: If nothing else, there's so many good classic RPGs you can download on there from the PS1 era. Definitely worth having.
0: I wrote a whole thing. I I wrote a whole starting screen about how it is actually shouldn't be dunked on so much and that it was actually a great system.
1: It wasn't. You know what? uh, I was, like I said, I'm a very latecomer to the Vita and it was, it is a great system. Um, I think it's completely
0: Sony's fault. It didn't go anywhere. Indeed. And they say, uh, so yeah, they got Tactics Ogre, which was number 24 on our list of top 25 RPGs. Judging from the overly dark and dramatic storylines and ability to break the game to your liking, I knew I had to give this tactics game the chance it rightfully deserves. Good job, Slime Knight. You did it. Yay. And, fi- and Satellite of Love says Jason Wilson and Kevin Van Ord were not worthy. Divinity Original Sin 1 was a revolution, revelation, and especially for the reasons that the old guard talked about. Before this, Larian Soft was the maker of janky ARPGs. They had no business being driven out into by the horror dogma of Gen 7. Then along comes this game here where you cast rain on a burning boat. That boat gets put out and then you put a quest ding ding, and, well, that's it. Welcome to the revolution. It's all genocide yeah. and more inventive stupid things from here on out. <laughs> also, RIP to Kirill Por- uh, Pokrovsky, whose free-spirited, empathetic work was sadly on this list. Ah, Sorry. Also R.I.P. to Kirill Pokrovsky, whose free-spirited, empathetic work on this was sadly his last. Ah. And the last email, uh, Nadia. We got an actual email. and This is very exciting. Oh, this thank is you. It's from Kieran Westbrook. I, hi, Kat, Nadia. Thank you so much for including the original sin in your top 25 RPGs. Getting to hear about the game I'm currently playing made my bus journey to work so much better than normal. My buddy Chin and I live 100 miles apart and play online co-op to keep in touch. We played Diablo 3 last year, and it was sold to me as a good game to go on as it's like that. But you're so right. It's not really much like it, and it's far better. The learning of spells and skills is great, and the interface is really great to get to grips with. Plus, I love stealing artwork and pickpocketing, much to the fury of my friend likes to live by higher values in-game than myself. <laughs> I don't expect to see many other of the games I play on this list, as my RPG experience has mainly been Final Fantasy-focused, so it was a lovely surprise to see Divinity on the list. Nana, you should totally play Divinity. It would be in your wheelhouse, I think.
1: Yeah, it's definitely on my to-do list. Uh, it's on consoles, right?
0: Yes. Uh, Divinity Original Sin 2 Enhanced Edition, which is probably the one you want to play, is coming mm-hmm. out on console very soon.
1: Right. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay. I remember now. Uh, once I get my game that I am reviewing out of the way, um, I definitely want to try that as well as Tactics Ogre. So
0: your very uh, long game that people can probably guess that you're reviewing. Yeah, and yeah, that I am it, also playing right now. Yeah, and really enjoying lizards. it. Yes, yes. Uh, but we won't. Ma- we won't name names. We're not going to talk about what this game is, but you can probably guess. <laughs> yeah I can't wait to talk about it. It's gonna be really exciting
1: yeah i'm a I'm honestly a little disappointed we can't talk about it because you want it to do well, and I think yeah. generating hype is part of a uh, part of making sure it does well. I mean, we were just talking about how octopath traveler had that hype behind it, and I think that helped propel it.
0: Yes, it's really sad that we can't talk more about how we feel so far about this r p g that's coming out in a month, but suffice it to say. <laughs> We are very excited about it and want it to do well. We want it to succeed. I don't think it's going to do that well, ultimately. I think that its sales will be, uh, I I think it'll do okay with the hardcore, but I think Octopath Traveler will outsell it. Hmm, I don't know about that. Uh, Don't forget, Octopath is a million across the world, so. That's true. That's true. Japan has already outsold it. But I'm talking about North America here.
1: Right, right. Yeah. I, I i'm i'm actually going to hold it to the standard of well, i'll see how it does against uh, persona 5 or near
0: oh yeah that's a good standard to hold it to
1: <laughs> well i'm just saying sales wise i played like five minutes of persona 5 the other night oh congratulations you now it's like uh, hundred hours down i'm still uh, <laughs> hundred
0: hours to go i'm still in the the, dun- the third dungeon the uh, one with is... um what's his name the the the, the, the mafia guy
1: Oh, oh, that's, I'm
0: trying to remember whose dungeon that was, because uh, yeah. well, it's Well, I don't want to spoil it too much, but, yeah, no, it's, uh, every time I pick up Persona 5, I'm like, ah, I really love this game. Ah, I love the music and the look of it, and I like the battle system, and I like the characters, and it's just got such a fun vibe. And then I put it down again and go play Madden or No Man's Sky. Yeah, it's, it's it's I
1: just like couldn't stop playing
0: it, and actually, uh,
1: it, I just should stop and say here that my, uh, talking about Persona 5, for some reason, it's turned on my husband's
0: Xbox. Whoa, that's creepy. <laughs> that's Especially since creepy. it's not on Xbox. No, it's but making it wants your, to be. It's making the Xbox go, Persona 5? I wish we had Persona 5. Play me.
1: Play, play me. me. Someone play me. Please. Please, Please acknowledge me. Help. My I'm over just here. Me. I just play WWE. That's all I do.
0: In fact, the Xbox is a really good system.
1: Yeah, I have no objections to it. I actually did play uh, Forgotten Annie on it, and uh, it's fine. Yeah. But it's a
0: great little system. Though, given the choice, I usually prefer the PS4.
1: Yeah, I like the, the controller only I would better. Say that. Exactly. That's exactly my problem. I don't like the Xbox controller the Xbox as much. Controller as the Xbox controller is actually
0: really good, but the PS4 controller feels more comfortable in my hand.
1: Exactly. It just feels a little more natural for me.
0: And the UI is better. Like the PS4's UI is so infinitely better than the Xbox One, it's not even funny. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that is so true. I remember getting lost in the Xbox uh, uh, UI just because I'm like, how do I sign in? That's all I want to do. I want to sign in, please.
0: I have an Xbox One X, and the UI in that thing is completely ridiculous.
1: <laughs> you would think that's where they would stop and say okay let's redo this and
0: nope yeah and plus just like with last generation and we're really just getting sidetracked but who cares uh come hang out with us um last generation with the xbox 360 you felt like you were plugged into this ecosystem right everybody had an right. Xbox 360 everybody played their games on xbox 360 yeah ps3 was a thing but it wasn't as common, right? It wasn't the thing. It wasn't the thing. Whereas this generation, it's PS4. It's not even close. Absolutely. Like, everybody the gets their, third, their third-party games on the PS4. What drives me yep. crazy is my old Madden League, they all bought Xbox Ones. So... <laughs> Do they it still play them? My friggin' Ultimate Team is on... Madden Ultimate Team is on the PS4. So, like, mm-hmm. when I carry forward every year, I want to play on the PS4. So I have to buy a separate copy of Xbox One Madden so that I can play with them. Oh, boy. First world problems, Nadia. <laughs> no kidding. The worst kinds of problems. It's the same with FIFA. They're playing on FIFA because they all, they all play it on Xbox because they want to play it there. And I'm like, I don't want to play it on Xbox. I got my ultimate team on PS4 and I want to play it there. <laughs> They'll learn next generation, I promise. All right, Nadia. Axe of the Blood God is a US Gamer podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold. Follow me on Twitter at the underscore Capot Nadia. At Nadia Oxford. And thanks to Shane Bedhausen for coming on the show. Make sure to follow him on Shanewatch for all of his random political discussions and everything. It was really nice talking to Shane again. He's a great guy. He's cool. Yes. All right, we'll be back again next week to talk about more RPGs. If you want to drop us a line and... Tell us what you think. Uh, we post show notes over on the site every week. Just go over to the tab that says RPG Podcasts and look for the show notes there. Or send me an email at cat.bailey at net, or you know, send me a line through social media. You know how to find me. So no. until then, for Nadia and myself, thanks for listening. Until next week, happy adventuring.